Welcome to Do We Know Things, a podcast where we examine things we think we know about sex. Content warning. This podcast will include discussions about menstrual cycles. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton, professor of psychology and sex educator. Today on Do We Know Things, do the menstrual cycles of people who spend a lot of time together actually sync up? I'm pretty sure that anyone who has or had a menstrual cycle in their life is aware of the concept of menstrual synchrony, even if they don't call it that. The idea behind menstrual synch- synchrony is that people with periods who spend a lot of time together tend to shift their cycles so they menstruate at the same time. This is a really common belief. But is it true? If you had to make a guess right now, would you guess yes or no? Studies that have asked women found that an overwhelming majority believe that menstrual synchrony occurs. But what did the data say? It turns out that it is really hard to figure out if this is true or not. There's a lot of debate in the research literature. I'm going to walk you through some of the studies, delve a bit into research methods, and try to figure out if period syncing is truth or myth. That's coming up on Do We Know Things. But first, I am really late getting to this episode, so I've decided to attempt to do it in one take with some notes, but no script. This will be more akin to a lecture I would give to one of my classes. I'll still provide a transcript with references on the Do We Know Things website, but the flavor of the episode will be a bit different than some of the scripted ones. And since we're talking about periods today, I wanted to talk a bit about COVID vaccines and periods. There's been a lot of things circulating around on social media about people who menstruate, who are getting their vaccines and then having either heavier periods or periods coming when they're not expecting them. And this has been a really interesting phenomena that's been noted. Of course, there's been no research done on this and the data on the clinical trials don't really talk about it at all. When things like this happen, or when things are thought to be happening, it's really important to get actual data to figure out if it is true or not. Um, Because we notice things and draw parallels between things or draw correlations between things that may or may not actually be there. This period stuff sounds pretty legit, though. And I'm hoping that there has been some longitudinal, longitudinal studies that have been going on that can really let us know if this is what's actually happening. And also, the clinical trial studies can be altered to maybe give people a placebo shot versus um, an actual COVID vaccine shot and see if it alters their period. There is one study I know about that started a few weeks ago by Dr. Kate Clancy. Um, Dr. Clancy does menstrual cycle research and has a podcast about periods. And she started a study just to gather information on people's experience getting the vaccine and what happened with their period. Of course, this can't tell us if the vaccine causes changes in their period because it's just asking for people's information. um, And it's not a cause and effect clinical trial type study, but it can gather some information and see if people uh, or the the experiences that people have to look for patterns uh, and similarities among them. So I'll put a link to that study in the show notes if you want to participate. So to understand the origins of this idea of menstrual synchrony, let's begin at the beginning. 
1971, Martha McClintock published a study based out of Wellesley College. And for those of you who don't know, Wellesley College is an all-women's school, and it was really the ideal setting to do a study about menstrual synchrony because the women came from away, they came together in the dorms, and they lived in dorms only with other women. And their school was mostly or was only other women. Um, Of course, people could leave school and interact with non-women outside of the walls of Wellesley, but most of their time was spent with other women. So what McClintock wanted to do is see, based on starting in September when they came back to school um, and following them all the way to April, she gathered data from these women about their menstrual cycles and who they thought their closest friends were and how much time they spent with men. (laughs) Because uh, based on the animal research, there's some evidence that Uh, If we that menstrual cycles can be disrupted by men being around, there's also stuff in humans as well. There's a few studies looking at how men can affect um, hormonal and physiological responses in women and vice versa. Anyway, so because of that, we needed to know how many men or how, how, how much time they spent with men. Um, And so what McClintock found in the study is that people who were closer, so specifically roommates, so people who shared a room and people who who said they were close friends um, had their cycles sync approximately two days closer over the school year. So at the beginning of the year, when they first came together, the median distance between cycle onset in these groups of friends um, or people who spent a lot of time together was seven days. And after the first few months, it went down to around five days. So it's not a super impressive shift. Uh, It's not like people were on average syncing up to the exact day. They just shifted a couple of days closer. So the the actual shift and the actual um, change over time was not the most impressive to me. But what I thought was particularly cool is that when researchers did the same analysis, like when they took random pairs of people um, and who lived in the same dorm, they didn't find a significant difference in their shifts. So the change in menstrual cycle onset, so like the first day of your period, only seemed to come closer in women who identified themselves as close friends and not other random people living in the dorm. And that's particularly important because there's all sorts of other factors aside from spending a lot of time together that are similar for people going to college together and living in the same dorm. Um, So, for example, uh, eating at the same time, right? So if people are going to meal hall together, eating the same foods as each other, that can affect our hormones, it can affect our cycles, and being able to show that only close friends and not just random people in the dorm showed um, a similar or showed a move towards more synchrony in their cycles, um, I think was really important. Another interesting factor that they looked at, and this is something that is important for animals, well, non-human animals, um, but also humans, um, is the light-dark cycle. So how much daylight you're exposed to on any given day versus how much darkness you're exposed to. And so roommates, so people living in the same room who have the lights on or off at the same times, um, if the light-dark cycle was affecting their cycle, um, we would expect roommates to have 
more closely aligned cycles um, than just friends, but they actually found the opposite. They found that people who reported others being close friends, that their cycles were closer together um, than people who were roommates. However, this is also contradictory because if someone is your roommate and you're sleeping in the same room with them every night, you're probably spending a lot of time with them, even if it's not direct interaction. Um, So that also draws into question um, what exactly counts as time spent together and what are the factors that actually might lead to menstrual synchrony if in fact it is a thing. They also looked at the man factor. (laughs) So uh, women who reported hanging out with men a lot uh, tended to have shorter, more regular cycles, um, while women who didn't hang out with men had slightly longer cycles on average. So there's some evidence that being around men could have affected their cycles. One pretty big issue, I think, about this study is that some of the women in the dorms were on birth control, and specifically hormonal birth control. And for those of you who aren't aware of how that works, is the hormonal birth control shuts down your normal hormonal cycle and replaces it with synthetic hormones. And it also controls your menstrual cycle. So you're only going to have a menstrual cycle at specific times when you're off your hormonal pills. So people on birth control cannot sync to other people because they their um, cycle is controlled by the pills. So to me, that seems a bit odd to keep women on the pill in the study. Uh, And their justification was that because they weren't sure what would happen, they wanted to keep them in just to see if maybe people synced to them. (laughs) Um, But they didn't seem to find evidence for that. And they also don't say how many people were on birth control. And it could really go either way. So if there was such a thing as synchrony, it would make the data more messy if these women were not shifting. Or if there was no such thing as synchrony, it could make it look like there was because others would fluctuate, but they would stay the same. So this is something that definitely should have been taken into account. I mean, it was taken into account, but um, not really controlled for when doing data analysis. So that study was published in 1971, and the uh, the next similar study wasn't published until 1980. The data were collected in 1978, and this next study specifically wanted to look at people living in co-ed dorms. So it was done at a college where both men and women attended and where dorms were co-ed. Some of them were segregated and some of them were co-ed, but everyone was included together in the study. And this study essentially replicated what was shown in the original McClintock study. They found that people who were in friend groups, so people who said that they were close friends of one another, tended to get closer in their menstrual synchrony uh, over the year. Um, And random, so again, they did the thing where they just randomly paired people from the same dorms, um, and they didn't see a shift towards more similarity or more synchrony in people who did not report being close friends. In this realm of research, I really think these dorm studies are kind of the ideal way to do this. So people who live apart during the summer, they come together in September, and so you can observe them from the moment they start spending time together. Studying menstrual synchrony in a college dorm is really the closest you're going to get to a controlled laboratory. But of course, we know life in a dorm is still not that controlled. So yes, people live together. Yes, they spend time together. But we don't know how much time they're spending with others. We don't know how much time they're spending with their close friends. We don't 
don't know who they're spending time with outside of the dorm. We don't know how much sleep they're getting. We don't know how much stress they're under. Um, And so all of those factors can influence our menstrual cycles. So these two studies, as well as some other earlier studies, often cited unpublished research as a way of bolstering the research around menstrual synchrony. So they'll say like, oh, there was this study of uh, women in prisons, and depending on the floor of the prison they lived in, they saw more menstrual synchrony. But to my knowledge, that study was never published. There was a couple other examples like that. So I think it started off biased towards everyone thinking that menstrual synchrony was a thing, and then just looking to confirm it. Um, So a number of other studies came up after that throughout the 80s and into the early 90s, most of which did find that there was some sort of synchrony happening. Um, So one study in particular looked at women in lesbian relationships And this study I thought was particularly interesting because if you look at, say, the average data, they it's it's showed evidence of synchrony according to the authors, but it wasn't particularly compelling. But they actually reported with the raw data, they found that half of their sample seemed to get less synchronous um, of these lesbian women or lesbian couples who live together, and half of them were synchronized within one day. So they're having consistently their periods uh, on the same day uh, or within one day of one another. And so that to me speaks to potentially that there is a subcategory of people who perhaps do sync or a, a type of person who is more likely to get others to sync to them. I'm not really sure, but that type of data tells me there's maybe subgroups and other components that really need to be figured out. However, there was another study that looked at lesbian couples as well and found no evidence of synchrony whatsoever. So it was an almost identical study and found essentially the opposite. And they also showed the raw data and it's really, there doesn't seem to be any pattern there. Researchers were also looking at other groups of people and other ways to assess whether or not menstrual synchrony existed or not. And one common example that you could probably think of is coworkers. So these are people who spend a lot of time together during the day um, and probably more so than they do with, say, their close friends. And one study looked at coworkers specifically, and they found a high degree of synchrony amongst women who did not live with men. Um, and who were not high in anxiety, so that they they found that people who lived with men were less likely to sync with other women in the office. Um, and of course, high anxiety or high stress is likely going to lead to uh, disruptive menstrual cycles. So if you're high stress, that tends to delay your ovulation um, or high anxiety um, on average and can then make your periods unreliable. Most of the studies that have found evidence for menstrual synchrony Uh, again, in the early 80s and 90s, um, were done in North America. Um, Some were done in Europe. But these are societies where uh, people are generally controlling their fertility in some way or another, um, whether that's using hormonal contraceptives or condoms or whatever. Um, And in other more nomadic Uh, societies, this is probably less likely. And so one study looked at the Bedouin people who are nomadic and nomadic peoples uh, and found that they there was evidence for synchrony in their community as well. And while the early research on menstrual synchrony was generally pretty positive, 
there did seem to be an increasing amount of studies coming out showing that there was no evidence of menstrual synchrony. There also started to be criticisms of the methodology of these studies that I will get into in a little bit later. Before we go into the criticisms of the menstrual synchrony work, I do want to talk a bit about why we might think people would synchronize their menstrual cycles. So in order for menstrual synchrony to happen, it means that something outside of your own personal body has to have the capacity to change your hormonal responses. Our menstrual cycles are controlled by our hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So that's your brain controlling the release of hormones from your ovaries. uh, And that's what sets in motion our menstrual cycle. So if someone outside of you can affect your menstrual cycle, that means that someone outside of you has to have a way to affect your hormones. And this is entirely plausible. So social and environmental cues absolutely can affect our hormones. We see evidence of this all the time. So stress is one example. So feeling stressed or being exposed to stressors can mess with our hormones and change our menstrual cycle. Um, So that's just one example. I mean, virtually everything we do can change our hormones. Having sex with someone can alter your hormones. Um, Falling in love with someone can alter your hormones. So it's not implausible that being exposed to another human can affect our hormones. So synchrony would make sense given what we know about our bodies. And we see in other species, um, whether they have like synchrony of their periods on a like day-to-day basis is not fully known. Um, But we see other species reproduce at similar times of year, for example, where all of the the individuals in the species mate and have their offspring basically around the same time, like in the spring. The main hypothesis that's proposed for why we have menstrual synchrony is pheromones. Pheromones are chemical messengers that communicate from one individual in a species to another individual in a species. And these are very well studied and very well known about in non-human animals, uh, mostly in rodents, but a lot of mammals have the capacity to perceive pheromones. So how it works in non-human animals is there's something called a vomeronasal organ, just inside the nose, and this perceives these pheromones from others within your own species. So, for example, when dogs pee <laughs> what, when, and other dogs smell their pee, what they're smelling or what they're using their nose for, because it's not actually a scent, um, it's a non-odorous chemical, um, but they're picking up the pheromones of the other dogs and getting information that way. The issue with humans is that It's believed that we have a vomeronasal organ in utero, and it does form some connections, but adult humans, like, so by the time we're born, it's basically non-existent, and adult humans do not have a functional vomeronasal organ. So when we're talking about pheromones, it is, there's a bit of debate around, (laughs) can humans perceive pheromones? Because we don't have the same structure that other animals have. That being said, there have been substances and specifically similar or steroid hormone substances that don't have odor that humans do seem to respond to. And so the 
it's possible that we perceive pheromones through other structures. So for example, there's evidence that uh, the hypothalamus, so a, a part of our brain that's very important for things like mating, can respond to these pheromone substances. And so how menstrual synchrony works, if it exists, is potentially through uh, pheromonal control of each other's hormones. And the first study on this was published in 1977, and they brought in a woman who was had self-reportedly um, had previous experience of, quote, driving another woman's menstrual cycle. Apparently, a few times over her life, when she had lived with someone, that person had synced with her menstrual cycle, and then when they moved out, the woman had unsynced. <laughs> um, and so in the article, it specifically says that the person who was the power sinker or the like driving the sinking um, didn't use deodorant or shave her underarms. So she's someone who probably had like very strong odor and potentially pheromones. Um, and so what she did is she stuck some uh, cotton pads in her armpits for a while and get got them all full of her scent. Um, and then those pads were cut up into little pieces and, uh, other women then came in and wiped the the pads on their upper lip. So essentially they were getting exposed to whatever chemicals were on it. Um, and they went about their day sniffing this person's smell on their upper lip. And this is still how studies like this are done. So people will wear things in their armpits for a while. Other people will sniff them. And it's done for things like mating studies. So people um, are potentially able to perceive how attractive they would find someone just by smelling their armpit shirt or like a swab from their armpit. But in this particular study, they're interested in seeing would these other women's menstrual cycle sync with this power cycler? <laughs> I don't know what to call her. Um, and they showed the raw data. And what they found was that four or five people in the odor group, so people who sniffed um, her actual scent, uh, synchronized with her. So four of five people in one group did synchronize. There was a control group who just rubbed like a, a blank thing on their lip. Um, and only two of those six people synchronized. The problem with this study is with these tiny, tiny groups, you really can't say anything. The fact that, you know, two of six, so one third of the people synced with someone they never smelled, um, and then four fifths of the other group did sync with someone they smelled, like you basically can't take anything away from this study from a methodological point. You would need at least like 40 people in the groups to be able to detect any sort of pattern of response. Um, so, but it was this study uh, early on in, again, 1977, that really set this idea in motion that pheromones were controlling other people's menstrual cycles. So that, I think, to this day is still the predominant reason why people think um, menstrual cycles can sync uh, is via pheromones. But there can be other things too, right? So the light-dark cycle potentially can affect people's menstrual cycles. Um, going through similar stressors together could potentially sync people's menstrual cycles. There's just so many possible factors that could affect our cycle um, and then affect our cycle similarly versus differently. Branching out from that in terms of the why might people believe in synchrony at least, uh, Brianna Foz did a qualitative study where she asked her participants, it was 20 women, asked them 
A, if they believed in menstrual synchrony, and all but one said yes, uh, and then asked them why. And one of the things that she took away from it was that thinking that you're in sync with your close friends um, provides you with solidarity, like feelings of solidarity. It also gives justified reason for being angry together and support in your anger, right? So if you're going through, say, PMS together, then you can kind of come together in your anger, and that makes it feel more justifiable. And in a world where women's anger is often um, highly criticized or mocked, it makes sense that we would want to believe in things that can bring us together and justify anger. One last study I wanted to talk about under this why um, that is not to do with humans, it's to do with non-human primates, but what they were looking at was if there is menstrual synchrony, what benefit might it have for the females in a troop? And what they found was when females... um, ovulate together, um, and so they're all available for mating at the same time, it actually offers the females in, in a primate troop more choice over who they're going to mate with. Because if they mate with, or if they ovulate one at a time, the alpha male can then take his time <laughs> and put get rid of all the other guys um, and mate with each female one at a time. Um, but if they all ovulate together, then the alpha male can't do all of them at once, uh, and it allows them a bit more choice in their who they want to mate with. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting, and I want to follow up on that uh, in more for my personal interest, but I wanted to share that just quickly uh, at the end of this why section. And now, all of the issues with the menstrual cycle and menstrual synchrony research. And there are a lot. So similar to a lot of earlier studies in biology and psychology of humans, the sample sizes of the early work were quite small. And the problem with sample sizes being small is that what we're trying to do with research is have a big enough sample that is representative of the population, and then we can do statistical tests to essentially help extrapolate to the general population. However, when you have a small sample, it's harder to do that to say that this is going to be reliable in the general population. And so sample size is a pretty big issue. And even though some of the first studies had Um, Like the very first study had 135 participants, which is a reasonable sample. But when you're thinking of all these complex variables that you need to manipulate, you really need like a thousand participants in one of these studies to really be able to hone in on the different variables and what's causing or what's contributing to what. There have also been criticisms of how synchrony is counted. And again, as I said way at the beginning about that first study, like the shift over time was like 1.5 to two days closer, um, which to me is not super convincing to say, oh, these people have synchronized their menstrual cycles. I would really just like to see more compelling evidence that people are syncing within the day. The other thing, too, is that generally they're measuring onset of the menstrual cycle, but likely if we're talking about hormonal shifts, what would actually be... um, shifting would be the time of ovulation. So really, 
to be more conclusive about this, you'd have to look specifically at when people are ovulating because people can have different lengths of cycles, but it could be that they're shifting ovulation so that they're all, say, fertile at the same time. The biggest critique, I think, of this area is the misunderstanding of how math works (laughs) or how probability works. So Barbara Strassman was a researcher who pointed out a lot of the issues in the math uh, of these types of studies. So specifically, she argued that the past researchers didn't really understand A, probability, um, how randomness works, um, and how likely it is that cycles would sync, um, you know, at the level of chance. Um, And one of the things she pointed out, if you think about, say, a cycle length of 28 days, which is the average period length, um, of course, people can vary from like 25 days to even up to, say, 40 days is considered within normal. Um, But say we're talking about people with 28-day cycles. um, If that's the case, the absolute maximum that two people can be out of sync would be 14 days, right? Because if you were went one day in the other direction, well, then you're only 13 days on one side and 15 days on the other. So the maximum apart could be 14 days if you both have 28-day cycles. So given that, um, on average, you would expect um, onsets to be about seven days apart, but a lot of the time it's going to be even closer than seven days apart. So having people five days apart is not that unlikely and isn't necessarily evidence of synchrony. Um, And another point is that people's periods, again, on average, last about five days. So it makes total sense if people are expected on average to be seven days apart um, that and they're both having five-day periods, like probably there's going to be some overlap there. So mathematically, it's not that surprising. Another issue is just the fact that people have different lengths of cycle. And so because of that, over time, their period start dates are going to shift. And every so often, they're going to coincide for a little while, say, with their friends. So, for example, if one person has a 27-day cycle and their close friend has a 30-day cycle, occasionally they will line up um, and line up, say, for a few months in a row and then drift apart as the 30-day cycle person gets further away from the 27-day person's onset date. And at the level of the individual, this could be a good example of illusory correlation, which is a cognitive bias that we all have. So illusory correlation is when we think things go together when they actually don't. And it's part of confirmation bias, which is another uh, cognitive bias where we pay attention to things that support our beliefs and ignore contradictory evidence. This I can imagine on like friends in an office noting that they all had their periods together a a couple of months in a row. Um, So they note it when it's happening. And then if they shift apart and so become less synchronous, um, they don't notice or comment on it because it doesn't support their preconceived notions that they cycle together. So I think the coincidence factor and the confirmation bias and the illusory correlation really interferes with my belief in (laughs) menstrual synchrony. And this is why we do rigorous scientific research, so that we can pin down things and separate what seems like it's correlated or what seems like it goes together or what seems like it causes something 
versus what just is coincidence that we happen to notice. Science certainly isn't perfect, but it allows a structure for evaluating phenomena that we can observe in the world and determining what's actually happening. More evidence has come out or more studies have come out that don't support the idea of menstrual synchrony. Probably the largest study, which unfortunately was not published in an academic peer-reviewed paper, Uh, but was reported on the Clue Period app website, Um, they took their users, so this is an app where people track their menstrual cycles, they put a call out to ask users if they um, felt like they synced with one of their friends. Um, And then from that data, if both friends had used the Clue app and were tracking their periods regularly on the Clue app, they were then included in this analysis. And what their Results showed that there was no evidence of actual synchrony, that it was just coincidence. Um, However, because this isn't actually published in a peer-reviewed article, the details of the study aren't really available. It's just a bit of a summary on their website. Um, And I tried to track it down and I couldn't find it. But if that were published, that to me, that would be probably the most convincing evidence because this is people tracking their cycles on a regular basis, not knowing that they're about to participate in a study. Um, so there's no things like affecting how they're reporting, for example. Um, that's been another criticism of this type of research, the idea that people are bad at tracking their periods. Um, But most of the studies that have done this give people calendars. And so it's not like they're trying to remember when their last period was. They're tracking on a daily basis like, oh, I got my period this day. Um, So that was one criticism that I don't think was valid. And people have uh, pointed out that uh, in the research literature as well. And there have also been defenses to these concerns. In a paper written in 1998 by Martha McClintock, the original person who started this research, she points out that because humans are so complicated, we wouldn't expect menstrual synchrony all the time. So it could be that in some cases people do synchronize and in some cases people don't, and we really just don't have enough information to know when that happens and why. And it really made me think of when I teach a social neuroscience class, one of my themes in social neuroscience is that context matters. And I do think in this realm of research, we need more info about the context. Um, And another paper talked about like, we need to ask so many more questions, like who synchronizes who, right? Is there like one person that Um, A lot of people might synchronize to. Um, Do people just kind of come together to a middle ground in terms of synchrony? Um, What conditions are needed? Um, There's just so many factors that I honestly don't know if we could ever actually answer this question uh, because it's so complex. But I think a lot of the criticisms of the early research are valid in that Um, research has come a long way, uh, and we have better methods and better statistical approaches to things. And I think we need more modern studies to really, truly answer this question. So do we experience menstrual synchrony? For me, it's kind of a hard call. The recent research literature, literature seems to lean toward no. I too am leaning toward no but I'm not fully ready to call menstrual synchrony a myth. From my perspective, the definitive study needed to debunk the idea of menstrual synchrony has not been done. Every study in this realm so far has issues. 
There are the small sample sizes that make it hard to determine the reliability of a finding. Um, or in larger samples, like the Clue app study, there's limited information about the actual participants. Um, and I don't think that study was published in an academic journal, so we just don't have enough info. Um, of course, there's all these statistical and data analysis and um, you know, statistical modeling issues as well. In general, the data that exist on menstrual synchrony are messy, and human beings are hard to track and control. I do think that we have more sophisticated statistical modeling now available that could potentially be used to determine if synchronization happens by chance or for real, and for which people. I think if there's a large enough sample and enough information about participants, for example, about their sexual activity, their exposure time with different groups, etc., then we could have a clearer answer. But we still wouldn't be able to control for all the variables. And it also requires a whole bunch of people <laughs> to be diligent in tracking their periods and time spent with friends, etc. Um, so I just think it's going to be really challenging to get that kind of information. However, if we could get data like that, and we identify, say, clusters of people who do seem to sync, um, then they can be further studied to try to find out why. Uh, if no groups sync at a higher level than chance, uh, which is what people are arguing that any syncing that has been seen in studies is occurring by chance, um, then we will have a fairly definitive answer. To have a truly definitive answer to this question, though, we would need to isolate people for extended periods of time. It dawns on me that COVID lockdown would have been the ideal time <laughs> to figure out if people's menstrual cycles synced with those they lived with, um, especially if they're spending most of their time at home and not working outside the home during COVID. I really hope somebody did that study. Uh, but during COVID, there's the extra layer of stress that could easily mess with our menstrual cycles, and then that could mask any possibility of syncing. See, every study has its issues. So to sum up, there really is no conclusive evidence that menstrual synchrony happens. That's all for this episode. If you have any feedback or peer review of this episode, I'm always excited to hear from you. You can send me a voice memo recorded on your phone or just a written email to doweknowthings at gmail.com. You can find a script for this episode with references and extra info on the website at doweknowthings.com. All music and sounds in this episode by Jeremy Dahl. You can check him out at paleblue.ca. Script assistance by Matt Tunnicliffe. I'm Lisa Don Hamilton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Do We Know Things, and you can email me at doweknowthings at gmail.com. Do We Know Things is released every second Monday, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, I would love it if you could subscribe and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time on Do We Know Things. <laughs>